We've all been hurt. We all have scars. And through a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can all overcome and we can all be healed. Welcome to Healing Scars with Pastor Burton. All right, everybody, welcome back. And we're going to continue in our series on reluctant leaders. This time, we're specifically going to be looking at Moses. All right, now there's a lot of things that focus on Moses, from animated shows to full-on feature-length films, the most iconic of which, I hate to disappoint you, it's not VeggieTales. Most likely, it's going to be Charlton Heston's portrayal. Now, let's be honest, for decades, just the mention of Moses has put this image of him coming down from the mountain with the tablets in hand and then yelling, Those who shall not live by the law shall die by the law. And you know, when reflecting back... People generally remember that Moses led his people out of Egypt and that they wandered the desert for 40 years. You know, and, and the Bible tells us this in Acts uh, chapter 7, verse 30. You know, um, you know, I, I know, like 40 years, really? Come on, I Googled it. It doesn't take that long. This is a much shorter walk than that. Well, it did take him 40 years, and the Bible does go into why it was 40 years. But we're not going to be looking at that today. That's for a later time. Um, where Remember, we're looking at the, the beginnings of, uh, of our reluctant leaders and why they were reluctant, okay? So to take a look at this man, we're going to go almost to the start of the Bible, and we're going to look at Exodus. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. So go right to the very beginning. and We're going to read through chapter 2, verses um, 1 through 10. Now, I know it sounds like a lot of reading. It's really not. These are pretty short chapters. So bear with me a little bit. Uh, you know, give me a little grace. Um, now, this is awesome. Because this goes all the way back, you know, it tells us exactly what, what was going on with the Israelites at that time and brings us to the birth of Moses. Alright, so starting again, Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel, who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, the descendants of Jacob, number 70 in all, Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then, a new king whom, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put the slave masters... Um, sorry, they put so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built uh, Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick, and mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. 
the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Sifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. When then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile. But let every girl live. Alright, so that's, that's setting the background for what's going on. Now we're going to continue on in chapter 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Holy cow, there's a lot there, I know. All right, so from birth... We can see Moses was already living in strife. He literally saw hardship from day one. Not only that, but he had a target on him straight out of the womb. And then he snuck out, put in a basket to float down the river. His birth was the thing movies are made of. No, really. It's, you know, if you think about it, it sounds like I'm talking about the movie Willow. And that's a trope that's been used for other films and stories over the years. One can't help but think that there's, there's a biblical influence at play. Uh, unfortunately, it's not a tall tale, though. We see this in other places in the Bible as well, like in the book of Matthew with King Herod. You know, And sadly, we see things like this around the world today. Right? Just, just reports of infanticide in China have been around for years. You know, is it a boy? Is it a girl? All right. So let's take a look. Uh, let's take a moment and let's look at Acts chapter 7, verses 21 through 22 which tell us just a little bit more about his youth. All right, so skipping ahead here, it says, the Bible, uh, the Bible says, when he was placed outside, 
Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own. Moses was well-educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was a powerful in speech and action. So we know that, one, Moses was brought up as a member of the royal family with all the benefits that entails. Two, he wasn't a dummy. He was smart. He was well-educated, and it showed. So, so one would think at this point, we're looking at someone who has it all. You know, easy street, skates, you know, just skate city, um, right? Wrong. Uh, he didn't skate at all. It wasn't easy street for him. So let, let's flip over to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, and we'll see why. All right. So again, that's Hebrews 11, and we're going to pick up chapter 24 through 26. And the Bible says, by faith... Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded the disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. So, even though he was raised as royalty, he refused the pleasures, the comforts, and the wealth. Remember, he was smart. He saw just how fleeting all these things were. You know, they're, they're temporary. And, and so we see some of the leader in, in Moses starting to kind of peek out. But that's all it's doing at this point. It's just peeking out, right? Now, there's something to take note of here as well. Just as Moses had these idols in front of him, we can all see the same ones in our lives. We can all get caught up with things like wealth, popularity, status, and so on. And just as Moses saw them for what, we, for what they are, we need to recognize them as temporary, short-term benefits. And instead, we need to keep our eye on the long-term benefits of God's kingdom. A kingdom, I might add, that already has our real treasure stored up, as the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. All right, so for the first 40 years of his life, Moses has been torn between worlds. Things are about to get worse for him, though. So let's go back to Exodus, and we're going to pick back up in chapter 2, um, right where we left off, so in verse 11. Now, we're going to read through um, verses 11 through 15. All right. So, the Bible says, One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard, uh, heard uh, excuse me, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. 
All right, we're going to stop there. All right, so we all we see this discussed um, in Acts chapter seven, verses twenty-three through twenty-nine as well. All right, Moses acted rash; he was hastily, you know, he's very hasty. Does it sound familiar? Because we just talked about another leader with the same issue. You know, he got caught up in the moment, and for being a really smart guy, he made a really dumb move. You know, here's a man at the royal family who could have gone an entirely different direction. He could have done this a different way to stand up for this other man. But instead, he made a semi-calculated move to lash out. First, he looked to make sure nobody could see him, or so he thought. And then he killed the man, buried him, he hit him. And that misstep came back to bite him pretty quick. You know, to, to the extent that Pharaoh no longer cared that he was an adopted member of the family. He wanted him dead. So Moses, now at this point, he's man on the lamb. He's running for his life. He knew if he got caught, that was it. That was, that was the end for him. He'd be pushing daisies. All right. So you see, sometimes we make the same mistake in our lives. We think that we can do something wrong. And get away with it as long as nobody sees or catches us. Even those little white lies, uh, you know, that we that we make. Taking supplies from work home and you, for personal use. Uh, you know, those victimless crimes. Uh, you know, and and just like Moses, sooner or later, it catches up to us and it bites us. It, you know, and, and even if it doesn't happen here on Earth, we'll still have to answer, and we'll have to answer that for that when we face God. All right, um, you know, just like a drop of water, um, you know, drop of water, it hits, you know, hits the body and ripples go out across that body of water. Your actions do the same thing in your life. We all have to choose whether the ways we create in our lives will be good or bad. You know, the smallest action or sometimes inaction can, can, can turn into something significantly bigger later on. We choose every day. Sometimes we don't realize that we're doing it. You know, um, now, do you want these actions to come back, you know, at you like a destructive tsunami or a big, beautiful wave that you can ride out on like a great surfer? You know, you decide. Personally, you know, um, you know, surf's up, buddy. Um, I don't want that tsunami. Now, let's skip ahead a little bit, and we're going to um, go down to Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to pick this up in verse 7. And we're going to go through uh, verse 12. So again, that's Exodus chapter 3, uh, verse 7 through 12. All right. And the Bible says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jubasites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that 
I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. It's a lot. I know. So Moses, basically at this point, he's at the burning bush. All right. And God is telling him that he's concerned about the Israelites. He's hearing their cries. Um, you know, he's hearing them pleading. And he's going to use Moses to free them. However, however you know, Moses is very reluctant at this point. He, he doesn't have um, any confidence, really. You know, he's really lacking there. Just like Peter and Gideon were, uh, you know. Well, I shouldn't say where they were when we studied. Of course, it happens later in the Bible. But, you know, just like Peter, just like Gideon, just like so many of us. So Moses says, who am I? Remember these words, because as we know, it's not the only time in the Bible that God says them. All right. He says the same thing to us. I will be with you. He's with us every moment of every day. Yet Moses felt alone and unable to deal with this situation by himself. God wasn't asking him to do it by himself, though. God was going with him and supplying him with even more, as we're going to see moving forward here. So let's take a look now. Um, we're still in, a, in a Exodus 3, and we're going to pick up our reading here, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 21. All right. So picking up in verse 13, the Bible says, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites, and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, excuse me, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the la a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are going to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go, and I will make the Egyptians favorably 
disposed toward this people. So that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor, any woman living in her house, for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Wow. So Moses, he started his, his arguing here. You know, he started his asking by asking God for his name. You know, and, and this, you know, this is this is a good thing, you know, because keep in mind, you know, he was brought up with the royalty, so he's not necessarily completely familiar with, you know, um, everything that's been done before and what the beliefs and the traditions are with worshiping God and the promises that have been made and all that. So this is so that the Israelites would recognize him, you know, um, God, that him being God and not be confused with the Egyptians, many gods. You know, they're, they're idols. Um, so God told him, I am. Yahweh is derived from the Hebrew word for I am. And God used this to show his unchanging nature. He reminded Moses of his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which can be found in Genesis. Um, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 13.8 um, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in setting Moses on this path, God even tells him that not only will the Israelites escape Egypt, but that the Egyptians will be happy and even give them gifts from clothing to wealth. All right, that's a lot. Now, looking at verses 16 through 17, there are two things to take note of. The first is that God told Moses to go and to tell what he's seen and heard. Basically, he's telling him, go and give his testimony, all right? And, and the best way for you to share the gospel with others, you know, for you, me, all of us, is to do exactly this, is to tell them about what God has done for us in our lives, our blessings. This gives weight, this gives credit to the fact that he's real. You're vouching for God, all right? And, and, and that's what it is, all right? The second thing to note is that this is the second time God mentions the land of milk and honey. It was also mentioned in Exodus 3, verse 8 as well. This is, you know, this isn't God singing the Crowder song, you know, um, though that this is what Crowder was singing about. This is referring to the land where Israel and Jordan are today and expressing how beautiful they are and how prosperous um, their promised land um, is going to be. All right, now moving along into... Um, Chapter 4, verses 1 through 17, we see Moses continuing to argue with God. All right. So the Bible says, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me? And they say, The Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then... The Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took a hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, 
put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now, put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored, like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile. Pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been so eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against what Moses said. What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his already on his way to meet you. And he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. So, it, it, it reads, you know, it's it, it, the same for Moses as it does for us today. He was afraid of people would think. He was overthinking things. He was building up the what-ifs in his own mind. He had that stinking thinking, you know. Um, we, we all do this. It's really easy to do. We all start building things up in our heads and looking at things like, oh man, what can, what's going to go wrong? All right. And the solution, the answer to all this is to remember that God doesn't ask us to go to the places he won't help us with. We need to trust in him and know that he'll provide what we need. Uh, in verses, um, two through four, God used a simple shepherd's staff that, you know, that, that Moses was carrying not only to provide a miracle or a sign, but to teach a lesson as well. See, Moses, he had no idea how powerful his staff could become. And while it could be used for many things, you know, at the end of it all, it was just another stick. However, God can use the most ordinary things to do great stuff and does. You know, what, what are the, some of the ordinary things in your life? A musical instrument? Lord knows I have plenty of them. How about a pen or a hammer, a gentle touch, or your voice? You know, I, I can tell you firsthand that a gentle touch or a kind word can make a world of difference. You, you know, you, you want to see this at play? You go watch a CNA or a nurse tech at work. All right? Uh, beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, you know, we all like to think, you know, it's quote-unquote, special skills that God is going to use. But don't ever discount anything. It doesn't matter 
how small or how mundane it might seem, God can use anything. Anything. Alright? Now, carrying on through verse 10, we see God continuing to equip Moses. He's given him signs, which are miracles in themselves. He's promised to be with him. He's reminded him of the promises that he's already made and that he's going to keep as well. Yet Moses continued to act like a whiny teenager. You know, in verses 11 through 13, Moses continued to try to weasel his way out of what he's been told to do. Oh, I can't do it. Have someone else do it. You know, he's continuing to talk back to God. So it's really easy to see why in verse 14, God's getting angry. Here's Moses going, but, 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 but. So God is doing what any parent would do at this point. He's telling Moses, what did I just say? Boy, you better listen. You know, and despite the protest coming from Moses, God still continued to show his mercy by sending his brother Aaron to help him. At this point, Moses, he's just run out of excuses. And it's time to go to work. The time for reluctance is done. God, God, you know, he's, God drew the line in the sand at this point. He's like, you're going to work. Like it or not. You know, um, Moses, he had stumbling blocks, blocks from here on out as well. You know, however, this right here, this is where the reluctance goes away. And he's beginning his ascent into becoming a great leader for his people. And, and, and he shows us that no matter how defiant we get, that we can't argue with God. Like Moses, sometimes... And really, oftentimes, we are our own worst enemy. You know, we, and we, we all like to take that easy way out. We like to push things off for someone else to do. Um, you know, it's, what, what's the easiest way to do this? You know, um, let, let me tell you something. Being a good person is hard. Being a Christian is even harder. But God will show mercy and walk with you every step of the way. Through fear, self-doubt, outright defiance, God can and will still use us just like he did with Moses. Whether we like it or not, he will help every one of us break the chains of reluctance. And really, reluctance is just, you know, it's, it's another chain of fear. And he will help us to become the people we need to be for his kingdom. Now, you know, in this series, we, we've looked at a few examples of reluctant leaders, and, and they have they all have common traits, not only to each other, but to us as well. We all need to talk to God. We all need to trust in him. We all need to march forward. You know, we, we need to tell him what we're feeling. You know, and this is all becomes a lot easier to do when we realize that we're not alone. We all feel all the same things that all of these leaders, you know, have, have been feeling. The, you know, the doubts and, you know, the lack of confidence and everything. Like, oh, there's got to be someone better. You know, it's like, it's like, really me? You know, sometimes, you know, even we're at that point. It's like, really, you know, you know me? It's like, no, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not fortunate enough. You know, I, you know, I hate to say that term, you know, I, I, my luck. I, I don't have that kind of luck. It's not my luck. But, you know, God, God is here. He's with us. And he will help us. All right. And now you know what the Bible says on reluctant leaders. Thank you for tuning in to Healing Scars with Pastor Burton. 
you'd like to know more about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook at Be The Light Sanctuary, or you can visit our website at BeTheLightSanctuary.org. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. God bless.